especially God. Because when you view people through the lens of hurt, then you end up transferringly and unknowingly and sometimes subconsciously hurting them because of past hurts you've experienced. So we're going to dive in a lot today to the Word and, and, and some key bullet points. I love teaching from the Word. I don't give my opinion. I give the Word. Because the Word is everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will remain. It's going to carry you through the week. It's going to be birthed up in your heart. Because, matter of fact, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what? Whatever you said. He is the Word. So the Holy Spirit reminds you of His Word. So if I'm preaching anything else but His Word, you think the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of that? Just throwing that out there. A little side note. That's why I love the Word, because it will stick you through you through the morning, through the night, and even in your dreams. I woke up this morning, and I was just like, it. literally, I opened my eyes, and he said from heaven, my mercies are new every morning. So why don't people be the same way? (laughs) I'm like, all right, encouragement and an uppercut, all in the same sentence. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, it's so good. I'm like, I, ha- I had to post it. I'm like, because we're talking about the matters of the heart. And it, to truly understand the matters of the heart, we have to understand the Father's heart. Because that's what we have to do. We have to cultivate this garden, this heart that we have, and make it like Him and see things like He does. So today, talking about the matters of the heart, we're going to be talking about King David. And I love this because David was known as a man after God's own heart. Come on. So if I'm going to start the first one talking about the man's heart, I'm going to go to the very one. People aren't going to like this. But the very one that was caught in the act of adultery. Very, very one that threw somebody in the front line to be killed so he can be with his wife. Very one that just cried out before the Lord because his own son was attacking his kingdom. Come on, talking about some father issues there. Talking about some family issues. We just had Thanksgiving and Christmas. Come on, we were with some people in our family. I don't think anyone was throwing spears at us like Saul, but I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. He had, some, he had some stuff going on. He was a person, just like us. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and go, wow, these guys. So annoying. I can never be be like them. Have you read the Bible? Or just choosing and picking and choosing what you really liked about these people? Because I'm going to start it off, and, and, and I have to start it off by bringing it all the way back to Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God. A mighty man, anointed man of God, did great things for God, heard from God specific directions, not just for David, but also for Saul, also for the nation of Israel at the point in time. And he goes to Jesse's house, and you can find this in 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7. He says, when they, when they arrived, talking about Jesse's sons, Samuel saw Elab and thought, Surely the Lord is anointed here, the one that stands before me. That, that was Elab, not David. But God said to Samuel, don't consider the appearance of his hive, 
for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If that's what God looks at, then why don't we talk about it more in the church? Just darn it out there. If God is more interested in your heart than your outward appearance, thank God, because I need to lose, lose a little. Thank you, Jesus. If, he, if not everybody has to look like Russell Crowe or, or, or somebody other, Brad Pitt or somebody else and can have a little weight because God looks at my heart and not my exterior. Thank you, Jesus. Working on it, though. Believe in self-control and keto. But I love pizza and tacos. Just throwing it out there. But he looks at the heart. So we have to talk a lot more about the issues of the heart because if we deal with things from the exterior instead of allowing God to move in from the inside out, then we've missed the mark because we will look at things just like Samuel did. Samuel was a prophet of God, biblical prophet of God. Missed the mark. And we get on prophets all the time because your word didn't come to pass. Your prediction for the election wasn't how I thought it was going to be. But Samuel missed the mark. And Samuel was a prophet of God. Did God stone him? Did God say, you're no longer a prophet of the nations because you missed it once? No. God showed them that it was not about the exterior, but it was about the interior heart. And then about the matter of a man. Here's another one, another prophet that missed the mark. But yet Jesus called him the greatest prophet of them all. John the Baptist. It wasn't really going here, but I, I, we, we got to bring some correction to how people treat prophets because they think they missed it once or twice. And then all of a sudden, oh, everything else that comes out of their mouth, even if they're quoting scripture, is wrong. I'm like, we need Jesus. We need to see them the way that he sees them through his perfect work of the cross. When we start viewing people that way, instead of downplaying one fault and looking at the exterior, instead of looking at the interior of the man, looking at the heart, we got to get back to what God's design was originally for. God made the body, but his life-giving breath went into the interior man. The very Ruah of God lives on the inside of you. When you get born again, do you change? On the outside, I'm just, just being honest. I was bare-sized when I gave my life to the Lord. I gave my life back to the Lord. I was still bare-sized. I didn't lose 40, 50 pounds. Wish I did. I'm like, come on, Jesus, work a miracle. I didn't do that. But I still had brown hair. I still have hazel eyes. I was still six foot. Over the age, I've shrunk a little. 5'11 now. I don't know what's up with that, man. You hit so many decades, and all of a sudden, you're like, you're an incredible shrinking guy. I'm like, come on. That's just wrong. But what changed? The nature of what was in you has been replaced with his nature. So we are talking about the inside man. And I love David, so we're going to talk about a couple of attributes that made him a man after God's own heart. So we understand his heart, we understand God's heart, and then by and just being there 
and listening and receiving, allowing God to cultivate our hearts. David had a heart of a true servant. I, I, I'm not really a, a bullet point guy, but I just like, I have to line this up because there's so much. And if I don't get through it, we can go on so many different avenues of everything that David had to experience. Because he was just a guy. But do you know, even after David was anointed, he still served his father. Well, let me just put, point this one out there. When Jesse called all of his sons to be presented to Samuel, where was David? He was tending sheep. His father didn't encounter more enough to be lined up with his other sons. Talking about some daddy issues. But yet he was about his father's business, even though he was rejected by man. Talking about a type and a shadow. That's why I love talking about David, because it was a type and a shadow of Jesus. He was about his father's business, even though men, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those religious folks were rejecting him. He was still tending to the flock. So he's out in the field. And I, I don't get it because I'm, I'm a guy's guy. I love hunting. I, I love talking to muscle cars, motorcycles, har, har, har. I, 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 tools, power tools. I'm all about that stuff. David was out in the field and killed a lion and a bear. But wasn't counted worthy enough by his father to be lined up with his other sons? I would have been like, dude, David, you're first in line. You taking him down with a sling. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you didn't even have like a 30-odd six. I mean, you just went to town on those things. Took out a lion. Most people don't even get near a lion in a zoo. But took out a lion and a bear. Protecting the ones that he was entrusted over. But wasn't counted worthy enough to be lined up with those that were living in a lifestyle of adultery. Study, study out the other sons of Jesse, and you find out why God rejected them. What else was David doing out in the field? He was singing unto the Lord. He's worshiping him. He was prostrate in the dirt before the Lord. He did not care what it looked like. He didn't care if his outward appearance looked undignified because Lord was worthy of it all. I mean, we sung about it this morning. He was worthy of it all. Matter of fact, he wasn't just worthy of the praise. He is worthy to take care of all of our junk that we had to deal with too. Sometimes we think God's worthy of it all just to receive our praise, but he's not worthy to take care of our junk that we're living in. Stepping on some toes this morning. It's okay. I got big feet. So he even served his father, the very one that didn't count him worthy enough to be lined up with his other sons, got anointed by Samuel. The horn of oil poured out upon him. They said that the spirit of the Lord, if you read it on in, in Samuel, that when he poured the oil upon him, it said the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He went right back to work, being diligently to serve the one he was very rejected by. Heart of a servant. Because it wasn't about how his natural father saw him. It was about how his heavenly father saw him. Yeah. 
Many people account Jesus being the first one that called God Father, but obviously they haven't read the Psalms that refers to God being Father by David. He had an understanding of a heavenly Father taking care of him even in the moment of being rejected by his earthly father. And still, after being anointed, I mean, literally, anointed, horn of oil poured out upon you. Not just a little, little touch on your hand and put it upon you. A whole horn of oil poured out upon him. He was a mess, smeared with the glory of God all over him. And the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him. He said, I will still go work for you even though I know how you treated me. He served King Saul and played music for him. When Saul was tormented, he took that anointing to serve and serve the very one he was supposed to replace. Come on, this is why I have to go bullet point because I could just go, I I could just take any one of these and just go. David was serving his father's wishes to bring food to his brothers at the battle before he slayed Goliath. David wasn't even counted worthy enough to join the army. You know what? (laughs) He was a cheese delivery boy. Okay, so um, I'm tending sheep. I killed a bear. I killed a lion. I'm anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Hello. I'm still out in the field, still serving you, and now I can't go to war when the Philistines are trying to attack us. Something could have, something could have just birthed within him to start complaining, to look at offense and hurt more than he looked at how his heavenly view, father viewed him. But in the moment of serving is when he had his first huge victory. Think about it like that. If David wasn't serving his father, he could have said, man, I'm not bringing them cheese. Cheese, I want my cheese and cracker delivery boy. Do I say, does it UPS tattooed across my forehead? What is this? Why am I delivering cheese to ones that are shaking and cowering behind rocks? They weren't even fighting. These guys were wimps. They were shaking in their boots. And I got delivered cheese to them. They said, no. Father, I'll take care of this. Don't worry about this. I will go deliver it and provide nourishment and substance to the very ones that have betrayed me. I will provide nourishment and substance because I don't see them how the earthly realm sees them. I see them how God sees them. So therefore, I'm a serve no matter how they look or how they act because I look how God sees. I look at the heart. And that's why I, I truly honestly believed when Goliath stood up and he says, is there not one worthy among you? He started defaming God that, <laughs> that David said, say what now? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that mocks my God? Come on, come on. When you get a revelation of God's heart, when you understand serving God so much that everything on the exterior doesn't matter, someone brings the, the, tries to defame God, 
you're going to be the first one to answer and say, wait a second. Let me tell you how my God can take care of this. That's how I treat when people say, man, I, I need a healing on the inside of my body because the devil's been attacking me. Say what? Devil, get your hand off of God's anointed. You have no right to touch that body. His body's been made the temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I get just a swagger to it because I know the enemy's already been defeated. I know that my God is bigger than the circumstances. I know he's bigger than any kind of sickness, disease, because he's already taken care of it upon the cross. But your heart has to be tender like that. Because if he was complaining the whole way down, his heart wouldn't have been right. Just, just, just saying. Matter of fact, it's not, not me saying it. It's, the, it's what the word says. But, you know, just repeating what the word said. Just saying. Hi. <laughs> I love this one. David served King Saul even when Saul tried to kill him. To the point of throwing a spear at the dinner table. Come, come on. I love, I love sitting down and tearing some food up, man. I really do. But I couldn't imagine sitting across somebody, loving on somebody, knowing that they don't like me, and they just get up and chuck a spear at me. Like, man, are you crazy? What, what was going on with your minds? Saul was David's father-in-law. At that moment when he threw a spear at him, Saul was his father-in-law. And according to Jewish custom and the way it should be, they have every right to father you just as much as your own father does. Because now there is a blood covenant between you and the daughter. Talking about some daddy issues. His father rejected him, didn't count him worthy enough, and now the very one that he married into the family, won the great battle for, is throwing spears at you. Hunting you down like you're a dog. Talking about some, some equal opportunity to take a hold of some offense. That's not how he treated him. Matter of fact, when he went up to Saul, he found him in the cave sleeping. He could have killed him. But he took a piece of his, his robe, cut out a piece of his robe, and when Saul woke, and he says, I could have killed you, but I'm not going to touch God's anointed. Even though the Spirit of the Lord left Saul a long time ago, there was anointing of how he Saul, Saul. How many times have you served with somebody in the body of Christ or grew up with somebody who treated you wrong? And when you had the moment that you could have snuffed them out, that you could have just said, ooh, if everyone knew you're drunk right now, man, that's that's payback because you've made me feel this big so long in my life. Man, I'm going to tell everybody about you. I'm going to talk behind your back. I'm going to murmur and complain about you. And when that opportunity is ready, I'm going to take you out. But that's not the heart of the Father. 
father, father is saying, I love you. No matter how big you've made me feel, I still see you as God's anointed. Even though you've been doing stuff that you shouldn't have been doing, messing around with witchcraft and and mediums, and, and the Spirit of the Lord has left you a long time ago, I still see you as God's anointed. I still see the best for you. When we understand that, we start understanding the heart of the Father because that's the same exact thing that he said over Saul that became Paul. When Ananias came up and started complaining to God, well, God said, hey, Ananias, I want you to go down to a street called Straight and you will meet a man named there, Saul of Tarsus. Ananias said, say what? You want me to go where? Minister to who? Don't you know who this is? Like he has to tell God. Sometimes, come on, sometimes we just do stupid stuff like that. God, don't you know? And then he started defaming him. He was the very one that came to imprison us. He's the one that's holding Stephen's coat when he was being stoned. He was this guy and this guy and this guy. And God looked right past that and says, he is my chosen instrument. Why don't we see each other like that? I remember a time, this is, gosh, had to be 2002. And we were at, Willie George had a, um, a huge youth ministry at the time called 180. And we went to a 180 conference in LA and God spoke loudly. And back, back then, I was rougher looking than I am now. Not to say that I'm beautiful or anything. My feet are, because it carries the gospel, and that's about it. <laughs> Inside joke between me and my wife, but hey. And we went to this conference, and I had a long old goatee. Used to cut my hair, shave it all the way down. I mean, I still look rough. Like, this guy has absolutely no business being inside of a church. But God. And I remember distinctly we were serving as um, adult or youth styled leaders. I was still in my young 20s. And, uh, or mid 20s, I should say. And I remember the five youth ministers, two of them were. Um, connected and they were like almost to the point of be, being engaged almost to that point and then it was headed up by some adult leaders that were their parents so there's a very strong tie between the parents and the adult leaders or the youth leaders that were leading the youth ministry but I had such a heart of heart for youth because I came from a lifestyle of living out in hell while I was a youth and I didn't want any other youth to go through that and that's why I became a youth pastor and served youth and still have a heart for youth today. And I remember distinctly hearing the voice of God during that conference. And it was right after he said something to the effect of, if you are not called to youth ministry, don't do it. But if you have a heart that's sold out for youth, you better step up. Because there are generations that are passing out before us. 
And I heard him audibly in, in inside. It was like the knobby. It was rising up on the inside of me. You will be a youth pastor. I'm like, well, praise God. Cool. For me, it's just that simple. He says, do something. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, hey, move to Tennessee. Okay. Move to South Carolina and take over Secret Place Church as a pastor. Okay. It's just that, just that easy for me. And I'm just because I came from a radical lifestyle and I didn't care what people thought back then. Why should I care now? Just saying it because I was living it for my own life. Now I'm living it for the very one who gave his life for me. Big difference. So I went up to the uh, one of the adults that their children were youth pastors. She just our youth leaders. It was just happened to be the very first person I saw, and I was all excited. And I said, "Hey, God just spoke to me and says I would be a youth pastor." Apparently, the wrong person to say that to. <laughs> Love them to this day. Great relationship with them. Nothing will phase the way I look at people. But I remember distinctly, it was after that moment that it was almost everything to try to get me out of the youth. So I know what it's like to live a lifestyle of a call upon your life and serve diligently even through being betrayed, being mocked, being laughed at and being told that you'll never become something because of your past. And David could have easily flaunted himself, flaunted his anointed as a king, could have told his dad, hey, I ain't serving you no more. Could have rose up a small rebellion against King Saul pretty easily. Could have brought a division to split the church. I mean, uh, could have rose up a small rebellion in, uh, against uh, King Saul. Because that's how church splits happen. I'm just throwing that out there. Hearts ain't right. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Saul was known for killing the thousands, but David the ten thousands. David had fame. He had the anointed, he had the seal of God upon his life and could have easily done it that way, but there was something about doing it right. It was something, not only that, but it was allowing himself in those moments to be trained up in servanthood because how, do you know, how many know our Savior came as a servant? So there's something about having a servant heart. That even in the midst of all this junk going on, it says, I'm still going to serve you faithfully. I'm going to look at you the way God looks at you. Because if I looked at you any other way, I neglect the anointing and call upon my heart and my life to walk out how God has called me to live. You know, it was 13 to 15 years before David became king. We get anointed and called out in a prayer line, and we expect it to, okay, two seconds later, okay, I got my own ministry. I got this. Why is this not happening right this second, Lord? Maybe he's wanting to refine you so when you do walk into it, you can deal with it better. Do you know in those 13 to 15 years, he had to deal with every single thing that would attack him as a king? 
literally everything that would attack him as a king, he faced as a servant. I've got to keep on bullet points because I'll just keep going right there. 2 Samuel 5, uh, 5 4 says David was 30 years old when he became king. 30 years old. He was a teenager when he got anointed. Come on, when you're young and you're 20 and you're buck wild, and you just like, well, you want to take over the world? He could have, but he served. I love this example. It says Chinese bamboo, Chinese bamboo produces little outward growth and the first four years of its life. Though it's puny and pitiful, there's something powerful happening underground. In the fifth year, in the fifth year, man, sometimes I can't wait five minutes. In the fifth year, my wife knows all about that. She's such a grace and into my life. In the fifth year, the true the tree, the bamboo tree grows 80 feet. 80 feet in the fifth year. First four years, it looks like just a little, man, I can cut you down. I could step on you and break you. But there's something happening underneath the surface. There's something that happens underneath the surface that we have to allow God to continue to groom and continue to grow so that when we step into it, we don't just step into it. We step in and we sprout. We step in and we grow that 80 feet. We step in and we walk out what God has called us to walk out. And we start looking like how God has anointed us. How do you know I've had... I know everybody in here has had had prophetic words that look bigger than your circumstances right now. Come on. I can take a show of hands and everybody in this room would actually raise their hands because they've had a destiny that looks bigger than the circumstances that they're living in right now. But yet, if you allow it, God will cultivate you on the inside. And what is being birthed on the inside, man, when you step into it, ain't nothing taking you out. I mean, you know, palm trees do the same thing. You know, palm trees are one of the only trees that stand during the storm. They may bend. <laughs> they may sway. But when the storm's over, they stand strong. And all those other little shallow trees get blown over. It's annoying because you've got to try to figure out another way to drive around them. Or snap in half. They break. I've served with so many ministers in the last 19 to 20 years that aren't in ministry today. I've served under them. Allowing God to cultivate me. Does that mean I didn't have winds and waves and storms? Please. Married six kids, come from a rough past. Man, I dealt with stuff on a daily, allowing God to cultivate me. Does that mean I didn't have my moments? <laughs> Talk to my wife. Just, just saying. I got to let God cultivate me. Did it mean that David didn't have moments? Please. <laughs> 
Yeah, to let God cultivate them. But when it came to looking at other people the way he should look, looking at circumstances the way that he should look at them, that was an immediate, and it came because of his attitude of a servant. Another way that he came at it was an attitude of praise. Hard to praise you when you get a spirit chucked at you in a table. When your own father wants to kill you. When your own father don't think you're good enough. When everyone else around you doesn't think you're worthy. I love this. I love this. It says this in Psalms 27, 6 and then 8. It says this, And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. He didn't say enemy. That was plural. Enemies. Not just enemies in front of me. They're all around me. Therefore, I will offer a sacrifice of joy. This is his word. Come on. I will offer a sacrifice of joy in this tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. Praise the Lord. When you said, God, seek my face, my heart said, Lord, I will seek your face. When life seems to surround you at all points, and you feel so much pressure that it feels like mentally and emotionally that the world is trying to swallow you up. That's when you offer that joy. That's when you start lifting up your voice of praise. That's when you say, Lord, I know it says you, I have to seek your face. So, Lord, no matter how I feel, no matter what my body's telling me, no matter what my bank account is telling me, no matter what my work is telling me, no matter what anyone else is telling me, Lord, my heart will say, I will seek you. We have to become that tender to him. Because when your heart gets hardened, That's when the enemy will overtake you and run you around like a rag doll. But when your heart is soft and tender to the Lord, he said, I don't care what the circumstances look like. I know my God. Man, I took out Goliath. Matter of fact, oh, oh you want to keep going? I took out his brothers. I took out their town. Because of God. Sometimes we have to look at the past, not to stand on our past successes, but look at God's successes. When we get in error and get in danger, we look at what we have done, not what God has done. Praise means this, and I'll try to wrap it up and start landing this plane. Sometimes I feel like like Dan... Um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, of Dan. He actually was the mentor of Todd White. But Dan always used to say this. He's just like, man, it's really hard to land this plane. I don't know how to land this plane, so I'm just going to keep going until he tells me to stop. But for time's sake, I won't pull that one on you guys. <laughs> yeah, come on now. When he says the word praise in this passage, 
the literal term for that means yada. Yada, not Yoda. Yada. For all of my Star Wars fans. Yada. Literally means this. To use your hands held out. To physically throw up or throw out, especially in reverently worshiping him. Casting it out to make a confession of praise and to give thanksgiving and a thankful melody. The root word of that is yod, which means this, a hand, the open one indicating power. Come on, how many know there's a power of praise? How many know when, when life's surrounding you and you just hit your heart? your knees and you lift up your hands and say Lord with open hands with your power I will give you thanksgiving I know the circumstance but I know my God and I know that he's bigger than those things that are trying to crush me to try to make me feel small to try to say that I'm unworthy I know I had daddy issues I know I had family issues I know that those very things that you called me to are now trying to kill me I will lift my hands because you're worthy of it all that's how I love Paul in Second Corinthians or in Galatians two twenty, it says that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in Christ. Okay, I'm gonna land this plane a little differently. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm just gonna be obedient because I'd rather be obedient than be disobedient. I'm just. I'm just throwing it out there. God says move, I move. God says speak, I'll speak because he knows the hearts of the people in this room better than I do. That's why I'm not a big fan of the three points because if you try to stick to the three points instead of honestly speaking what heaven wants to say, you'll miss the mark. I have nothing against people that use three points. Just throwing that out there. For all, all my friends out there, all my pastor friends watching, I got nothing but love for you, man. But I got to move how God has anointed me because he's anointed me differently than he's anointed you. You got to move on how you're anointed. Never try to be like somebody else. What would happen if David wore Saul's armor? What would happen if you try to walk exactly how somebody else is anointed instead of your own anointed? Same end result. Oh, I can't do that bend the Bible thing. I've had to have my Bible rebounded and read. Here, I'll have to go old school. Have it open. I love this in, in Philippians. If, if you've got your Bible or your uh, app, dust off your app. Dust it off by swiping it, I guess. <laughs> Says this in Philippians 3, 12. And I made reference to this last week, but it spoke to me so loudly during the midst of worship. And I'm feeding on this myself. See, never feed on the word to try to preach a message. That's dangerous, man. Two big points of what 
David propelled himself in servanthood as a king and praise. There's, I, I got several different points on David. But two big things that he did was one, intimately spending time with his father. Do you know that is accounted to by Bible scholars that when he wrote some of these Psalms, that he was literally underneath the Ark of the Covenant and the holies of holies in his presence singing this stuff out, encountering God in this personal time. He didn't go there and go, man, I know about a couple thousand years from now they're going to be singing this, so I better get this down. That wasn't even the point. He said, Lord, I want to spend my time with you, and out of that, I need you to birth the revelation that will continue to propel me forward in a deeper relationship with you. He, he rarely sought God to take care of his enemies. He, he has done that. Everybody in this room has done that. Lord, you see what they said about me? Just saying. But he sought the God because he loved him passionately. That he knew that no matter what, he would never have been where he was called to be as a king if it wasn't because of God. I would never be where I'm at today. I would never have my wife. I would never have my children. I would never, matter of fact, I wouldn't be alive. Let's just be honest. I'd be dead in the penitentiary if it wasn't because of God. So when I seek God, it's not seeking God going, hey, God, I need you to give me a revelation because this Sunday is coming up. And I'm seeking God because I just love him. Passionately. That I, I move to tears when I drive just because the Holy Spirit just comes upon me and starts birthing revelation of how good God is to me. Remember one time I was in worship and I started counting on one hand how many times that I should have been dead. Like literally gun pointed to my head, shot at, just overdosed. I mean, just like literally counting on my hands. I'm like, oh, I remember that time. And I'm vividly seeing these, these times. And then all of a sudden he says, God says, oh, you think it was that few? In a flash of images from my past, just start overwhelming me. It was just like, I couldn't count it. It didn't stop for a while. And I'm just start weeping before the Lord. See, he delivers you out of things you didn't even know that you were going to get into because he loves you that much. And the second part, that's, that was point one, long point, but a great point. Point number two of, why he had that kind of heart is because he was a lover of God's word. He was literally a lover of the ruah of God, the breath of God that allowed him to breathe out and communicate with him. Psalms has the most books in the Bible. Don't you think he talked to God a lot? <laughs> Throwing it out there. And he loved every word that came out of God's mouth. Even in the moment of being rebuked. He still loved it. 
That's why when my wife was pacing back and forth up here going, you know, some may not like rebuke. I'm like, sometimes it's good. He only chastises those he loves. But I think our definition of chastisement is different than his. Philippians 3, and I'll end with this. I'll start in verse 12. This is Paul the apostle writing this. He says, not that I have already attained it all. Or even already perfected, but I follow after if that I may apprehend for which I am so apprehended by. Old King James. Amplified says this, not that I have attained this ideal or already been made perfect, but I press on to lay a hold to grasp and make my very own for the one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that has laid a hold of me and made me his own. David had the opportunity to point out everyone else's faults. And there are those here even this morning that have been going, God, didn't you remember when they did this? And didn't you remember when they did this? And don't you remember this and that? This is why I feel the way I do, Lord. I'm justifying myself and my hurt instead of being justified by the one who gave his all. And God is saying it's time to lay a hold physically lay a hold of the very one that has laid a hold of you. Not that we've already been made perfect or know everything, but one thing that I'm going to do the rest of my life is grab a hold of the very one that grabbed a hold of me and made me his own. When no one wanted David, he knew God did. <laughs> 